Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Monday, September 26th, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my neighbor, Max. How's it going, my friend? Embarrassed to be sore at this point in the fall from a game of spike ball, but that's exactly where we are in the middle of September. I guess. When's the the last time you played? Yeah, that's it, it has been more than a month and i know why but i'm still not happy about it my uh my shoulder is still bugging me i played ultimate all summer and then i tweaked it i guess now two and a half weeks ago and it's still bugging me so i can understand how spike ball could definitely uh cause some soreness yeah it it just wasn't on my radar as a thing to watch out for and then but it is a very explosive sport and yeah i'll walk in anything really that involved use of the legs was a bit rough today stairs walking yeah all like the knees you get after it yeah yeah with the lateral movement yeah it was uh (laughs) some good rallies in there nice nice awesome very cool did so then the weather was decent in montreal better like it was shorts and t-shirt really really especially Saturday and for like a couple bits of Sunday. Um, but we were kind of joking as we were heading out that like we knew that was the last hurrah. Yeah. Yeah. We're already past that here in, in Southwestern Ontario um, had rain over the weekend. And I think the warmest it's been is 14 degrees. So we're hanging out in that, mm-hmm. that 10 to 15 degree weather right now. Spooky season is truly upon us as fall uh, was the first day was last Thursday. Huh. And with that comes the NBA season, the NHL season, just around the corner. Uh, media day today in the NBA and uh, preseason hockey uh, and training camps underway uh, for the Leafs. Had a couple of games over the weekend that I did not catch a single minute of, but I was still have an opinion because <laughs> that's the way we do things here in uh, in the off season of the sports world. <laughs> You did yeah. watch some sports, though, this weekend. Yes, of course. Uh, naturally, the NFL in full swing. Uh, so I had to tune in for that as well. A big win for both of my fantasy teams this weekend. My one league, I'm 3-0. and And I got to say, you definitely feel like a like the big man on campus when you <laughs> when you pull up in the chat with a 3-0 and record uh, against some of your friends. It's definitely a... Uh, a big flex. It's definitely a, uh, a a level of status above your your peers that definitely feels good. I, I don't think I'm going to win fantasy because always something has to go wrong, but it's great to at least win a couple of weeks and be top of the table now headed into week four. And you, you've paid your dues. You're like running your third, fourth year of competing now, you said. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it's about time in the smaller leagues to start making a bit bigger of a splash. And I'm happy to be out of those leagues and out of the way of your ego there, but good on you. <laughs> oh yeah. It it I mean, people were were giving me a little they're talking a little bit because I have a podcast and so therefore I should be well-versed in the NFL and performing well. So if I'm not, then it's Mm. a little extra bit of uh, chirps coming my way. If I, if I can't figure it out. Okay. Okay. The onus is on you. So this is just the floor. This, yeah, this is the expectations for sure. (laughs) All right. Jumping into the NFL on the game side, 
we got uh, a lot to talk about in week three. Uh, some shocking results, of course. And this is what the NFL wants. Uh, unlike the NBA, which promotes its star players, the NFL really tries to promote the brand and the parody of a 32-team league above all else. And we did definitely get that this weekend. Uh, as a top story in my mind uh, is that the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs, who we had 1-2 last week, both lost this week. Uh, and, and Buffalo with the very, very early conversation of perhaps an undefeated season with the way that their offense just puts up endless points that goes out the window. They only are able to put up 19 against the Miami dolphins. And in that hot, hot climate uh, with a hurricane inbound for the West coast of Florida, the bills unable to keep up with Miami, they fall uh, despite one of the craziest plays you've ever seen, Max. I don't know if you ever have seen the highlight of Mark Sanchez running into his offensive lineman's butt and fumbling the football. No. Uh, well, we had uh, a new version of this with a punt happening out of their own end zone. So everything a little bit compressed and the dude straight up kicked it right off of his blockers, but at the oh. back of the end zone for a safety tough look for the dolphins, but somehow they still win despite the butt punt as it has been deemed, uh, as, as the bills unable to get out of bounds late in the game and get one more shot at the end zone and, uh, offensive coordinator Dorsey. There's a shot of him at the end just smashing the crap of a, out of his tablet uh, up in the booth, um, and they had, to, they had to cut away from that quite quickly. A big loss for the Bills. I think it's going to be better for them in the long run to take a little bit of the pressure off of having to go undefeated and win every week, but now they are looking up in the standings on Miami, who is 3-0. So a big result there in the division this weekend. And then on the other side, the Chiefs losing to the uh, sorry, Indianapolis Colts, who are able to turn it around, play a really solid defensive structure, and get just enough plays plus a timely unsportsmanlike conduct call uh, to eke out a win on their side. And, and the Chiefs and the Bills both lose. That means things open up a little bit in the AFC. And I think just the Eagles and the Dolphins at this point are undefeated. So uh, oh, lots... Great. And lots of parity across the league in terms of who can be chased. And now the New York Giants could be the third team to join those two tonight on Monday Night Football. Uh, but the hype is high on them. And I could see Dallas pulling off. I don't know if you'd call it an upset. I feel like these teams are fairly even. But Micah Parsons, I see having a big game and causing a lot of pressure for Daniel Jones. So we could have the Giants being 3-0, and which would be on no one's bingo card. Uh, so for that reason, I think I have to go Cowboys tonight. <laughs> Not sure what that says about you, but I know because I went zero for two last week. If we if we right. listened to it back on my predictions, so Monday okay. night not treating me well so far. <laughs> All right, well, we'll track that and check in again next week. It's just the one game. Yes. Yeah. Just last week was the first time. I think we'll say I'm zero and three on the season because I. Well, gotcha. no, you know what? We'll say one and two because I definitely was worried about the Broncos. I can't remember what I said there. Might might actually be 0-3 on the season in Monday Night Football picks so far. All right. All right. Well, I'll we'll check the it tape. moving forward. Yeah. Love it. Beautiful. Great. The pressure's on. Pressure's on. We're going Cowboys tonight. Other games around the league, Mac Jones injured as the Ravens roll. Uh, Lamar Jackson having another massive game. 
statistically stacking towards his uh, MVP campaign and, and uh, love it as uh, having him as my quarterback in fantasy cannot complain one bit. Um, so the Ravens get another big win there against the Patriots, the Panthers and the Jaguars, both underdogs on the road against the saints and the chargers uh, that parlay. If you would put those two just to win together was nine to one. So pretty, pretty hefty odds. And that would have come through and the Jaguars, are kind of the story of the season. They should be 3-0. They had a shocking loss to the Commanders in the first week of the season, which kind of went under the rug because everyone thought Jacksonville was going to be bad again this year. But they are top five team in advanced metrics in DVOA in the NFL and are now 2-1 and one with two very convincing wins. They blew out the Chargers today all over them. They're fast on both sides of the ball. Trevor Lawrence looks like a like the best prospect since Andrew Luck, which is what he was called coming out of college two years ago. He just had a terrible head coach last year, so he's looking fantastic. And Trayvon Walker and the rest of that defense look really, really solid so far, and the Jaguars are uh, starting to accumulate some good performances under their belt, and a lot of people will be turning around and starting to pick them to win the AFC South. Other games here, the Bengals finally get their first win of the season after uh, being in the Super Bowl last year. And of course, they do it against the New York Jets, bound to happen. Uh, the Jets and the Lions, two teams that fan bases were starting to get a little bit too excited about the potential of the season. They were everyone's pick as underdogs this week, and they both lose uh, to the Bengals and then the Lions losing to the Vikings as well there. Philadelphia keeps rolling. I mentioned them still undefeated and they look like the best team or most complete team right now, early on in the season on both sides of the football. Jalen Hurts has taken a step up and is running as well as making throws that he was not making last year. And their defense was the story of this game. Uh, Max, I think they had nine sacks and 17 total QB hits on Carson Wentz in this game. So just obliterating him, making him feel the pressure, uh, and, and he crumbled quite severely as if Eagles take that one over Washington. The primetime game in the afternoon, Green Bay Packers, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Rodgers versus Brady. Uh, everyone excited to see some fireworks, and it ended up being the defenses that showed out. Uh, Rodgers, I think, has thrown eight interceptions in the last four years against the rest of the teams in the league and four in three games against Tampa Bay. So they are they do a good job of getting in his head and, and making him throw interceptions. And Green Bay probably should have been up by more in the first half, if not for a couple turnovers. But their defense consistently comes through. And Brady could not get could not find the receiver that would get open for him. Uh, Gage, Perryman, Cole Beasley made an appearance. They just weren't enough. And uh, Tampa Bay gets a late touchdown, can't convert the two-point conversion. And the Packers steal one on the road, 14-12. Uh, to, to get back on the winning record side of things at two and one. The Denver Broncos, a team that uh, I have already uh, just lamented about how their season has gone so far. Uh, disappointing loss to Seattle um, in week one and then scraping by against maybe the worst team in the league, Houston Texans. And again, really poor offensive performance today or yesterday uh, on Sunday Night Football, but somehow uh, able to get another strange safety. So not just the butt punt. That was not the only strange safety. Garoppolo drops back, 
footsteps out of bounds out the back of the end zone before making a pass actually saved the 49ers on that play. It would have been a pick six, but instead of safety uh, makes the game seven, five at that point, which is already a weird score. Then the 49ers kick a field goal, 10, five, and the Broncos able to get a really late touchdown uh, to walk it off and win the game 11 to 10, which is a score you rarely see in football games, but a win is a win. Wilson started to flash some things late in that game, but overall still has not looked good. So I've yet to fully buy in on this team, despite them now tied for the division lead with the Chiefs. Oh, I know. You take what you get, right? You take what you get. Lastly, uh, to wrap up the football fan cave for this week, my fantasy MVP going way off the board here for Khalil Herbert. Backup running back of the Chicago Bears, David Montgomery, announced out very late into the morning on Sunday. Herbert steps into the Bears offense as the backup back, getting the uh, first back touches, and he puts up 30 fantasy points. So if you had picked him up on the waiver wire, I saw an NFL fantasy was projected for four points. So getting 30 out of him, if you decide to start him, is massive. I don't think there was a ton of people out there that started him, but if you did, that's your fantasy MVP for the week, Khalil Herbert. Good job. That's going to do it for Football Fan Cave. Max, I know we're finally uh, getting closer and closer to this massively hyped fight, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to hear about what you got to say. Yeah, I don't know how massive the hype is right now for Makashev Oliveira. I know how high it should be, and that's what today's segment's going to cover. Just the broad strokes of what about this fight is so intriguing, so fascinating to me. Because I really, over the last five years, can't think of many that come close. Like, really, just like Habib Connor is the main one. Uh, and that one was more about hype, like 95% hype, 5% like style entertainment. Whereas this one, a lot more of the what's coming is the records and what these two have done inside the octagon more than any bad blood. But let's start. Um, with the Habib side of things, because he's kind of the foundation of bringing this hype, just what his career was, the like unquestioned dominant perfection that he brought every time he stepped into the octagon, never really looking in danger, never looking in trouble, always imposing his will uh, to do it consistently throughout your career. Doesn't matter how high the level of your opponents get is just unheard of and absurd. Um, but luckily, for us fans of mixed martial arts, there is a cloth that these Dagestanis are cut from, and Islam Makhachev comes from that exact same one. Um, one knockout loss in his career, uh, second fight in the UFC, I believe. Since then, a perfect 10-0, and 0, and everything outside of that loss, um, not carbon copy of Khabib, but just so similar in the opponents never really showing anything that makes you think he's losing the fight for more than five seconds. It feels like there's no way for them to stylistically grab a hold of the fight. A lucky shot is all they're going to have. Um, the grappling always seems several levels above. And Makashev has maybe fought better grapplers than Habib did. Um, Armand Sukarian, Davi Ramos, even Tiago Moises, all really good grapplers. None of them, they all 
they were less far behind Makashev than other guys have been that we've seen, but still like if they breed better grapplers in the division, we haven't like, we've never seen one of these guys look outmatched, look one, two steps behind. They always somehow are ahead. And for Makashev, especially on that frees up so much else of the game in the Moises fight, we really saw how the pressure of the takedown, um, lets him come into his own on the feet. He spent, I think, the, almost all of the first round and a good chunk of the second or a good chunk of the third then on his feet, taking his time, slowly backing Moises up against the fence. And when that take, and not in any danger because he was able to stay far enough back to not worry about the striking, uh, darting quickly and the split second of indecision of is he darting in to go for a takedown or to punch me in the face uh, keeps the defender from reacting properly to the timing and uh, gives Makashev such ease that like I watched the last four fights he hadn't uh, so Dober, Moises, Hooker and Green and there wasn't one moment where it looked like the opponent really had a good chance to land anything. I don't think I saw a single submission attempt to go up against him. Every takedown I saw him go for, he hit. If, if I don't think an opponent stuffed a single one. So that's Islam Makashev. He mixes up the takedowns to keep them guessing, to keep them so efficient. Once he's on the ground, opponents rarely get up. They're at risk of being submitted if they make one wrong move, as we saw with Hooker, as we saw with Moises and uh, Dober, though those took more time. If they just stay there, they're going to get pounded, like we saw Green. It, it's Khabib 2.0. No one's been able to do anything about it, and it might be that he's been the best guy in the division since Khabib retired. But for all that said, there was never an opponent for Khabib like Charles Oliveira. Um, almost like Cinderella meets Jack and the Beanstalk fairy tale story where a career journeyman who was four losses, two wins in the six fights before the win streak he's on right now. Oh, but that win streak's 11. Uh, something just changed after he lost to Paul Felder. Uh, and you didn't know at the start of the run because that was his career. He always beat the guys he was really supposed to beat and then struggled against the top guys where um, it's ed a matter of inches, like edge to edge, top to top, slightest margin, um, the willpower when everything else is so close is what's going to make a difference. Those were the fights Charles Oliveira seemed to always get behind it and not be able to find his way back in. Uh, but this run that he's on, we saw more stand up. I remember him hurting Clay Guida, uh, Daniel Tamor, I think, on the feet, two guys who can strike and hurt you before he took, found the submission off that damage. And this time when he got to the highest level and he faced adversary, he rolled with it and outdid it. Uh, all three title shots he's had, Michael Chandler, Dustin Poirier, Justin Gaethje, all three of the most terrifying guys in that weight class you could walk anyone in an octagon with. Um, not many people on the planet last two minutes in there without getting knocked out. All of them landed and hurt Charles Oliveira. I think they were all hooks as well. Every time he's in the pocket, he's stepping out, he's mistimed it a little, and they just catch him. There's a second delay, he falls. But I swear, every time before 
his uh, body's even on the ground. His head's there lucid. Every time you see as he falls, his head is alert, looking at the opponent. His guard is up. He gets hurt, but he gets hit, but he doesn't get hurt. He he's never seems to be rocked and out of sorts where the opponents are looking for the finish and there's a decent chance they could get it. Um, wow, this, I haven't done a UFC breakdown this long in a while. It's a bit out of rhythm. And it doesn't, if they follow him, they're running into a huge chance of getting submitted on the ground. So you see that buys him a second or two more to recover. Gaethje won nothing to do with it. Poirier didn't look too interested either. Uh, Chandler didn't even get that kind of drop that would have let him into the get into the guard. So we're not sure there. But just these, this threat that he's become like on the feet, you can hit him, drop him. He's just going to get right back up. Scary power in his hands, as we've seen against Chandler, against Gaethje, against so many other guys all the way up to this run. And then I don't have the pedigree to even get into what makes his jujitsu so exciting and terrifying. Maybe we'll try and do a more technical breakdown a little on some other stuff later. Um, but for now, just every time it's gone to the ground and someone's been there, they've ended up tapping out. Uh, Dustin Poirier, a, the most scary recent example of that, where just he like turned the wrong way into the fence of Poirier and it let Oliver get on the side. And that was just a step away from there to the back. And then he was up on the back. And then it was just a matter of slowly readjusting the arms until Poirier was getting choked out. And it seems like the only mistake he made in that entire sequence was presenting his side instead of his front at the cage. And then it was just inevitable step by step. I don't know if that quite sets what I'm trying to set here, talking about this contrast in styles, but in Islam Makashev, you have a guy who's just relentlessly never in the danger zone, always getting himself one step closer to what seems like an inevitable victory uh, where you can resist, but you can't fight back. Charles Oliveira is a wild man who accepts the chaos, walks through it, and then throws it back twice as hard to knock out some of the most dangerous guys in the division. Um against any p opponent that wasn't Makashev but had the same style of skill, I'd look at the strength of both opponents that Oliveira has had and give him a huge edge over Makashev just for that. But because of what we saw with Khabib, where in retrospect, he was the best guy in the lightweight division for years more than he was crowned champion, I can't say for sure that that's not been the case with Makashev. And i like I'd still give Oliveira the edge just because Poirier, Gaethje, Chandler is such a more terrifying list of heads to present than Green, Hooker, and Moises. But it's way less of an advantage than I'd give in any other situation. It, like The essence is at any time, even when Makashev has Oliveira on the ground, he's still in danger. When he's on his feet, he's absolutely in danger. When he's in the clinch, he's going to be in danger from those knees, from Oliveira jumping into a leg lock or trying to get a flying guillotine out of it. And we just, this guy, this style of fighter where we've never seen in trouble throughout the time in the octagon, that's going to be such a new thing. And that's what really has me excited about this fight. So yeah, we'll get into some more nitty gritty tape stuff another time, but I think 
Islam Makhachev has been an unstoppable force. And no matter what anyone's thrown at Charles Oliveira on this most recent run, they found him an immovable object. And this fight coming up with the 11 versus the 10 fight win streak is the most true of that um, hypothetical phenomenon that I can think of any matchup for. And that was what has me so excited for it uh, as I'll be talking throughout the rest of the month, but you can rest your ears until then. Wow. Yeah. It's going to be some more content there as we grow up and uh, get closer to this fight. Uh, I might have to tune into it. That's how big this one is already in circles of, uh, of my peers and including Max as well, as we well know, uh, our combat corner expert, Got some quick hitters to finish off the podcast here. A couple of players that I respect, hate, and above all, fear. Finally retired from the NHL this past week. Uh, Zidane Chara from the Boston Bruins and P.K. Subban um, during his time on the Montreal Canadiens was uh, both division rivals there. Both guys who gave the Leafs a lot of heartache and strife. I think have to hand it to Chara, especially above all the Mount Rushmore of players that just ruined our lives as young children, as Leafs fans. Um, and so I, I can say with 100% clarity and certainty that I will not miss him in the NHL, despite how unique and, uh, and great of a player he was. Good riddance uh, and, and best of luck on retirement. Uh, as as they move away here from the game, I think we'll be seeing a lot of Mr. Subban uh, in broadcasting circles sometime in the near future. And Scott Style. Uh, I had to look it up, but did you know Subban's first year in the NHL was the year that Jara won the Stanley Cup? So 2011? Yeah. Yeah. Um, just it like Chara had had a full career, worked his way up to captain up to that point. And then Subban's career started. And the point I'm trying to make is it feels like Chara has had two full careers. Um, hearing these two guys like retire at the same breath and Subban not exactly being an early retirement kind of blew my mind. Uh, but yeah, some quick hits on Chara would be uh, winning the slap shot competition in Ottawa. I think 106 mile per hour slapper, like five higher than Weber, the next guy generated. And uh, that 2012-2013 Leaf series where every time Kessel got out of the box or off the bench, Chara would hop off the bench either. They showed, they like put a camera on each bench and it was the stuff of nightmares. Yeah, he... uh other other highlights of his career just super ragdolling anyone when he actually did fight them <laughs> he wasn't often a fighter but when he got mad that like i said like you said nightmare fuel something to behold uh and then pk suban a couple of great moments the uh overtime winner against the boston bruins in in their series way back in i think it was 2013 or uh 2012 came out of the box streaked down the wing one-timer scored it the big knee slide was his uh signature celebration down on one knee and uh he came very close with the predators in 2016 um never able to get 
over the hump there, but a remarkable career. Could see him back on the ice maybe for the right price, but I think he already has an awesome podcast and he is going to be a great analyst in the studio when, when that time comes. Moving on in other NHL news, Nathan McKinnon did uh, the prices right move on Connor McDavid goes 12.6 for his new contract, making him the highest player in the highest paid player in the NHL. Uh, while at the same time providing a hometown discount to the Colorado avalanche with the way that the salary cap is projected to rise and where things are already starting to move right now with the salary cap, 12.6 for McKinnon is a bargain. Uh, you see every year in the NFL, and in the NBA, contracts are restructured or the market is reset with someone making five, 10 million more. Uh, and for Connor or for McKinnon to make 0.1 million dollars more in the NHL, just to be the top guy for the next two years, uh, you already know Matthews and, and McDavid will be up in that 13, 14, maybe 15 million dollar range, depending on how the salary cap moves. Um, in in a couple of years so another great contract for Colorado he gets the money that probably could have gone to Nazem Kadri and uh, they'll be looking to be back right in the thick of things again as they uh, defend their Stanley Cup title this year yeah happy for Nathan to get his moment as highest played hockey player in history and that's kind of all this is as you said history in the salary cap era I'm pretty sure they used to have higher contracts no way. Oh yeah. Uh I think it's I think it was Joe Sackick was making like eighteen million dollars a year before the salary cap. Holy shit. How have they yeah. not just like stormed the governor's I buildings? I know. The wow. the NHL is so backward. Um I'm gonna actually pull this up right now because I'm I'm curious. Imagine like I'm trying to imagine being like a Crosby or uh like McDavid now being like, yeah, there were guys getting paid more than me 25 years ago that I could literally and figuratively skate circles around. Yeah. I can't find it right now. We'll, we'll have to, we'll have to do the research there, but I am a hundred percent certain there's someone who has made more than Nathan McKinnon in the season. Wow. I like, I guess there, that the money was there back then. Like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. When and the money's there now. They just yeah, they yeah. have kept the salary cap so suppressed. Mostly for the very small market teams where there isn't as much money, but the mm-hmm. billionaires can afford it. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the reasons why the Raptors are now the uh most valuable Canadian franchise. Wow, that was quick. Yeah. Yeah. NBA on the way up. NHL's gotta catch up. Uh, speaking about the Leafs, they win both of their split squad games against the Ottawa Senators, and the number one guy to watch moving forward in training camp right now is Dennis Mulligan. Um, That left-wing spot with Willie and Tavares is up for grabs. Could be Kerfoot, Robertson, Mulligan, uh, Adam Goddard. One of those players uh, could slot in there, and, and Mulligan, a guy who had his run with the Leafs briefly, didn't do enough to impress and stay in the NHL, went to the Swiss league. Now is back trying again. Uh, and if he can perform like he did overseas, uh, then I think he could be a valuable addition to the top six there. Final note in the pod, uh, the Toronto blue Jays bounced back to split a series with the Rays 
and they are in the absolute home stretch. I think there's 10 games left in the season, and they are either going to be up against the Rays, just like they were in last year's playoffs, or the Mariners, or the Guardians. Um, all three of those teams, really solid, strong teams, and, and playing at a high level. Uh, I think I'd probably want to play uh, Seattle out of all of those teams with an injury to their star recently, um, who they just called up, uh, Rodriguez, uh, who was in the home run derby. But no matter who gets uh, the matchup, Blue Jays really just have to po- push for that home field advantage because it is somewhere that they perform at a really high level. And the Rogers Center crowd is always back in their boys. So uh, continuing to cheer on the Blue Jays in about two weeks time, we will have playoff bas- baseball to talk about on the pod. And that's it for baseball. That's it for the podcast. Looking forward to tuning in tomorrow as the Canadian men's national soccer team plays their second friendly of the window against Uruguay as we are now just a month and a half away from the World Cup. So something else to look forward to here in the fall months as, uh, as summer has now ended. It's all going to hit us at once, eh? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We are going to be buzzing in the end of October when I am done Frisbee. That's when the real work begins. I expect in the research notes to take a massive uptick in quality, so enjoy the slack in your allowed while you can. Thank you to all of our listeners. Uh, It's been a blast as always. Sports Next Door, signing out.